Hi folks, thanks for tuning in. Before we get started with today's interview, I would like to talk about an event I attended on February 26th in Austin, Texas called the Digital and Blockchain Transformation in Health 2020 Symposium, hosted by the Austin Blockchain Collective. The event hosted an amazing group of high-quality speakers and attendees, which gave us all the opportunity to talk about the current state and possible future state of decentralized ledger technology in healthcare. I want to thank Pete Harris and his team for organizing the event and giving me the opportunity to moderate a panel on Web 3.0. The panelists were incredibly insightful, and the audience was definitely much more engaged than you typically see at conferences. I appreciate the high level of energy and interest that everyone had at the event. I made some great new connections and reconnected with previous Health Unchained guests in person. Austin is becoming a great city for blockchain entrepreneurs and is really a fun city with great weather, especially when I compare it to Boston in wintertime, although this year has been quite mild, I will admit. Check out my Twitter for some of the photos of the event. A couple quick reminders for any of you new listeners. If you are looking for a way to get weekly industry news and highlights in the blockchain and healthcare space, I suggest you read Robert Miller's newsletter on bert.substack.com. Robert is a senior consultant at Consensus Health, and he does a great job curating top stories affecting the industry. A link to the newsletter is in the show notes. Remember, the Health Unchained podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only, and we are not providing any sort of legal, financial, or medical advice. Please do your own research and due diligence before making any important decisions related to these matters. And now for today's interview, I spoke with Tatiana Consavelli, TEDx speaker, successful computer scientist, and data lover, who started off her career as a multidisciplinary consultant at PricewaterhouseCoopers. She has had many leadership roles throughout her career and started her own company a few years ago after being diagnosed with cancer. Her company, Open Health Network, is a general purpose platform that leverages AI and blockchain to create a personalized patient experience that can be white-labeled for enterprise clients. It was great speaking to Tatiana, and I'll tell you, her passion is contagious, even more contagious than COVID-19. Well, at least I hope so. Now, without any further ado, let's get to the show. Hi, I'm your host, Ray Dogan, and welcome to Health Unchained. On this show, I'll be speaking with healthcare entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and executives who are using blockchain technologies to revolutionize healthcare. These innovators are building the distributed infrastructure and diverse communities required for a trusted, secure, and decentralized healthcare ecosystem. Enjoy the show. What is blockchain? blockchain. What is blockchain? The doctor will see you now. Welcome to episode 57 of Health Unchained. Today's guest is Tatiana Kanzavelli, founder and CEO of Open Health Network, a patient experience management platform running on blockchain technology. Tatiana, thanks for being here with us today, and I'm looking forward to our conversation on your experience as a healthcare entrepreneur and also your experience as a patient in the system. So thanks for being here. Thanks for inviting me to this podcast. I'm excited. Awesome. So I think it's best to, we can get started with a little bit of your background. I know you were uh, an immigrant from Azerbaijan. Yeah, back then it was Soviet Union. You remember those times? 
yeah, I came as a refugee. Uh, so went through um, refugee camps um, and um, so how old came were you here during that time. Okay, let's not talk about age because I'm still 18. So okay, let's fair leave enough. that. <laughs> All right. <laughs> but um, yeah, so I came as a refugee, and um, um, it was quite a journey. And were you, you know, into science and technology and computer science at the time? And maybe how did you get into the healthcare space here in America? Yeah, so my background is actually computer science. So I was working in Academy of Science and. Um, now I'm aging myself, but I programmed in from assembler all the way to like C++, you name it, uh, from mainframe to, you know, everything else. Um, and then when, uh, when I got to the States, my, you know, very first job that I found was in literally a week um, without having a resume, because I didn't know what resume was. Um, <laughs> it was... <laughs> I know it sounds crazy, but that's how I found my job uh, without like anything. Um, it was a programmer, so um, so I did that uh, for 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 a few years, um, and then I joined uh, Price Waterhouse, um, and that was um, that was a real exceptional experience, and they enabled me to grow from. Uh, like senior consultant almost all the way to a partner level, uh, getting involved in all the strategic deals in SAP practice. Interesting. So what type of uh, industries or projects were you in? Was it in healthcare when you were at PwC or was it just no. computer science? Yeah. <laughs> um, it was pretty much everything and anything because we deployed SAP um, okay. for you know, a variety of different industries and companies. And I was, uh, a, as a global uh, expert on intersection of technology and business processes. So I was involved in deals from Intel to uh, Exxon hmm. <laughs> um, across many different industries. Funny enough, I didn't do much in healthcare back then. Interesting. So I think before we start talking more about op the open health network, because I do want to spend most of the time talking about that, I think it's important for the audience to also know that you were also, you know, a patient in the system. So I think that experience, you know, might have driven you to understand the system better and also help to develop better solutions for it. So would you mind telling us a little bit about your experience as a patient as well? Yeah, so um, I, um, I grew up very healthy. So if, you know, kids were getting all kinds of stuff, I never was getting anything, right? And uh, I would visit, you know, my physician once a year to do a checkup. So I went to my annual checkup and I had the same physician for many, many years. And she looked at my blood test and said, hmm, I know you for such a long time and for some reasons, your iron is a little bit low. It's not like a low, low, but uh, let's dig into it. And I was taking iron, rechecking, and she said, mm, you might have ulcers. Let's do endoscopy. But while we're there, let's do endoscopy and colonoscopy. And um, when that procedure got done, 
the gal who was doing it, she walked in and I looked at her face. I was like, hmm, I don't like the way she looked at me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and that's how I was diagnosed with cancer. Um, and uh, that was uh, uh, kind of a turning point where I looked back at all those great things I've been doing that suddenly didn't make too much sense to me. And uh, literally within a few weeks uh, before my surgery, I decided to start um, a company mm -hmm. in healthcare. In healthcare, okay. What was that company? So that was uh, Open Cancer Network, uh, but uh, it eventually pivoted into Open Health Network. I'm sure you've had to have, you know, multiple follow-up testings and maybe some procedures. We don't have to go into that level of detail, but I'm sure, you know, just that experience of navigating the system and managing your data has probably given you a lot of insights into some of the problems in healthcare. I would like to learn more about what the vision of the current Open Health Network is and if you can draw some of the experiences you've had, you know, in your post-diagnosis periods. Uh, just so we can understand how that all relates and how, you know, being a patient really makes you uh, able to be a great entrepreneur as well and really giving you that drive and passion, which is really important as an entrepreneur. I feel like you can't really be a leader unless you have purpose and vision and mission-driven um, ideologies. Yeah, so um, going back to uh, the... Um the the vision i had back then it hasn't changed since by the way Great. the company name has changed and a lot of things has changed but um so one of the questions so i got i can tell you i got really really depressed when uh, i was uh, i was diagnosed so it, i was it was the darkest time of my life and um it's yeah it's huh. it's it's an experience um and uh, there are, you know, some lots of unknowns at that time. So um, dark times, but at the same time, I start thinking about why me, right? And um, I insisted on doing all the genetic tests and everything else. And uh, I couldn't blame my parents, you know, so there was no nothing in genetics. Um, and then um, I started looking at the data, granted, you know, my specialty back from my computer science degree was uh, big data. Uh, I was looking at neural networks back in, you can't even imagine one. And so, uh, and I was designing all kind of, you know, decision support, knowledge management, whatever the names we used before AI uh, or during AI when AI was bad to mention. So I, um, you know, we went through all that. So I uh, mapped out uh, 360 degrees of data that can impact causation treatment outcome of chronic diseases such as cancer. And uh, the, uh, the, the issue I had, and I still have in healthcare, that we're looking at complex diseases from a uh, subset of data, right? So we, we're looking at genetic data, or we're looking, you know, at uh, um, Social economics data, or we're looking at data that uh, are, in, you know, in HR records. But realistically, I believed it back then. I believe it now that the nirvana state of healthcare, on 
diagnostic treatment outcome anywhere comes from looking at completely integrated view that does include your genetic and microbiome and socioeconomics and stressors and diet and exercise and your depression and yeah. your blood tests. <laughs> I mean, the holistic so, view, for sure. Yeah. Exactly. And until we get to the point where we can get all of that integrated and analyzed in masses, mm -hmm. I don't think we'll get to the bottom of anything. So I don't believe in those, you know, data sets that uh, we play with uh, mm -hmm. uh, independently. So, um, so that was the vision. And then when I start kind of working on this project, it's a massive thing. And sure. you're like one single, you know, female entrepreneur. And I found the exceptional co-founder who is, you know, genius and AI genius and professor and just superstar um, to tackle this problem. Back then, um, it's, it's, it's a big undertaking. At the same time, what I realized that there are certain data sets that didn't exist back then. Like what? One of those data sets mm -hmm. was patient reported data. Like if you look at AHR, AHR has your blood test results, your height, your weight, your medications, but it doesn't know how you feel today. Mm -hmm. It doesn't know a lot of stuff about you, what you ate, what you, how many stuff, all kind of other stuff, right? So um, at that time, being a cancer patient, the last thing I wanted to do is to look at people who are ill as a data source. I completely reject the notion of you coming to me where I'm a patient, I don't feel well, in asking, here's a form, give me your data five times a day, three times a week, whatever that is, right? Right. So fundamentally, that was against what I believed in being a patient. So uh, I kind of had this vision that first, we need to give people what they need, information about disease, community support, um, motivationals, Tests, assessments, medication, everything that they need and help them to gather data that might be helpful to them and us, but not just take, 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 right? And at that time, having my background in configurable, customizable systems from almost day one of SAP, uh, we came up with the concept of the framework that basically, like Salesforce, configurable, customizable, adaptable system that has all those modules that can create true, like truly patient-centered offering. And we decided to do it exactly the same way as, you know, Salesforce or SAP Oracle have done, B2B, white-labeled, powered by. I wanted to empower people who know what they need to do to do it in the most efficient, the most robust, the most smart, adaptive, personalized way. So that's how we kind of framed it. I see, that's really interesting. And I do know that the Open Health Network does utilize blockchain technology. And I'm just wondering, when did you first hear about blockchain? And why do you think that uh, you know this network or application needs it? Because I know Salesforce and SAP don't really use blockchain 
well, maybe they're looking into it, but currently I don't think they yeah. use blockchain. But why do you think that in the future it's going to be part of your infrastructure? It is part of, we deployed it uh, a long time ago. One mm -hmm. of the first ones who had real deployment. And again, I'm when not looking at, uh, it was two years ago when we went live with it. Um, and in my case, I know when I mentioned AI and blockchain, lots of people, oh, bunch of buzzwords. But <laughs> I'm, I'm coming from user experience, what people need. I'll give you an example. Mm -hmm. Number one, I'm talking about blockchain. I'm not talking about crypto okay because uh there are a lot of confusion out there everyone thinks if it's a blockchain it's a bitcoin it's crazy it's bad it's unknown it's right. anyways i'm not talking about that so i'm talking about some core properties of blockchain technology that makes sense to use in the context of healthcare um so imagine that um, there are a bunch of real amazing healthcare organizations, large ones that we work with, and they're creating patient-centered offerings uh, in IBS, Iberic Crohn's disease, in cardiology, autism, you name it, right? Mm -hmm. And there is a, almost all of them enable patients to gather some data. Some of them in, enable data gathering, like from depression assessment to uh, how I feel, what I ate, or what my temperature, whatever those things are, integrate with Apple Health, Google Health, with Fitbit. We just, you know, now. Sure. So what happens is you have all that great data that based on the terms of the engagement can potentially be used by whatever healthcare organization provided you with the app, if you will, right? Now, some of them say, well, maybe we can enable patients to share that data. I was caregiver to my parents, so I was managing my dad's blood pressure. So I would call him like five times a day, okay, read me what it is, read me, right? Now, in the context of the framework, now he can pick data at the point level okay blood pressure i want to share with my daughter every day for three months uh or i can share you know uh, my uh, activity data with my physician or uh, caregiver you see what i mean yeah um so uh so it did make sense not just to have again a separate niche thing but part of the everything that they do now they have an option of creating revocable consent where they can control who, when, how can have access to any data point that they choose to share, to collect. Yeah, and you know, it's an amazing uh, new kind of innovation blockchain. And uh, I do agree with you that it, I think it will become part of many industries and in infrastructure. Let's go into maybe some of the adoption and awareness trends of blockchain and you didn't tell me when you actually first heard of blockchain was it back in bitcoin days like was it, it was bitcoin day yeah right 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 so i was kind of observing the space i you know i bought you know i was like okay let me buy a bunch of them um bitcoin and litecoin and you know mm -hmm. ethereum um but um i i never this again my my unique skill is being in the middle. I am as 
business process oriented as technologists. Mm -hmm. So I never would use technology for the sake of technology. Sure. Right. So uh, if I don't see real use case, I'll be the first one to tell you, you just make a phone call instead of using anything. You see what I mean? So, so I was observing, but I couldn't see why you should use it, why you can't just use a database or why you can do. And then when we came with this, like, come on, like in cardiology, one of our uh, partners uh, for many years, we have been American Heart Association. And, you know, they made this free app that's been used by thousands and thousands of people over many years now, uh, my cardiac coach for people who had heart attack. And for those people, you know, they get out of the hospital and then they have to go through cardiac rehab. In most of the cases, cardiac rehabs completely separate entities. So when they go there, those, you know, physicians and therapists, they don't have any visibility to any data hmm. of those patients, right? And uh, within cardiac my cardiac coach, they collect tons of data and now they can share. So it's easy. Uh, so it made sense. And of course, we build the back side as well, the flip side of the marketplace where anyone who is interested in encouraging patients to adhere to certain things or share data, they can create smart contracts and specify what they need, how they need it. Uh, we designed three-level architecture to respect privacy of people. So it goes through one of our layers, find people who meet certain criteria, let, let them know, okay, here's the company XYZ. They would like you to do this, this, and this for this time frame. Here's payment or reward, very flexible. Do you want to engage in that? And only when you consent, we match them. Yeah, and I think that part is really important. The granularity of consent that is possible with uh, a decentralized system is is, is really interesting, I think. Um, Well, it's important. It's very important. important, Right. I I still have issues with, you know, Facebook using all kinds of data and making money out of it to get my eyeballs on things that they get paid for, and I'm not getting anything out of that. I agree. I think the regulation is way behind in terms of, you know, the ethical standard that we must follow. Uh, It's really, it's really not a good situation we're in right now in terms of our data privacy. Um, And I want to talk about the MyCardiac Coach. So you mentioned that app uh, that you helped uh, and to develop. It was developed on our platform. It's developed using your platform, right? And I just want to say I did download it. It was really interesting. Uh, One of the coolest features I found on it was the ability to learn how to do CPR using AR, augmented reality. So Mm -hmm. I was able to point my smartphone camera on the floor and a a person, like a dummy person, appeared uh, on my my smartphone and instructed me to push uh, the chest and breathe here and do this now. So it kind of gave me an experience of what it would be like to perform CPR on a person. So if anyone's interested in learning CPR. I'm glad you liked it. Yeah, no, and and it was really (laughs) But again, I mean, from my point of view, um, Mm -hmm. if you're talking about patient centricity, then my cardio coach comes very close to uh, like all in one, that I don't have to go to five apps 
to do what I need to do on a daily basis. You see what I mean? And the way our framework is set up that if you want to drop diabetes in there, high cholesterol or anything else, like my dad, he had heart attack, he had high blood pressure, he had high cholesterol, he had diabetes, you know, all those things at the same time. So can you imagine if you're telling those people, oh, here's an app for diabetes, here's an app for your know, heart attack. And I mean, that's not happening. So our platform fundamentally is designed to scale, adapt, and be personalized to serve you features, content, look and feel based on one on may or many health conditions you have. But the way healthcare is set up and the way healthcare thinks about patient uh, from large provider point of view mm -hmm. that, oh, my department treats people with lung cancer, so here's mm -hmm. a lung cancer. But uh, if they, my God, if they have something else, there will be another app for them to play with. And in my books, that's not patient-centered approach to design. You Absolutely. See what I mean? Yeah, totally. I, I understand. And I think as our population is aging, comorbidities or people with multiple chronic conditions is increasing. So we need to find some sort of solutions for that. So exactly. It's really, right. um, I'm with right. you there. Let's yeah. get into some of the details of the open health network. So you said there's no cryptocurrency associated uh, so what kind of, are there any tokenomics that we can talk about or is it, what kind of nodes or what does a network look like? Who's operating it? <laughs> Everything that we do fundamentally is built to adapt. So when we start looking at the framework and architecture for blockchain piece of the framework, number one, we, uh, the space is still evolving mm -hmm. and a, B, we work with so many different companies that I didn't want to be married to one chain. Protocol, yeah. Right? Chain. Right. So the way we build it, that it can move from one to another one. So right now we're sitting on Ethereum. It can be easily moved to anything else. And uh, as I told you, we have three-layer uh, infrastructure. But as you know, uh, we can't keep healthcare data based on HIPAA compliance on a on blockchain, so uh, we uh, do, you know, patient consent management, patient identity management on the on the blockchain, and then we have caches to um, health data that's, uh, you know, HIPAA compliant distributed database, and we also have separate layer for uh, metadata. Hmm. We split them because again, our expertise is this in designing and deployment of highly secure systems for three letter agencies in the past. So we know real well on how to set up infrastructure uh, for highly secure, highly reliable um, business processes. Um, and that's why we have this highly complex kind of three layer middleware that we've built. And it sounds like your focus, you know, I understand you have three layers, but the focus is really on building those applications for your clients. Um, right. So what we did, um, we created a framework just to give you a feel. What is the framework? Sure. So you looked at my cardiac coach, right? Mm -hmm. Very complex app. It's, in Google, you know, runs on any device. It's an 
English and Spanish. It can be translated easily uh, to Chinese. It has medication adherence, uh, content, assessments, uh, everything pretty much everything the patient needs to manage data collection, integration with Apple Health, Google Health, like data sharing, you name it, right? Now, imagine that you can build all of that without writing single line of code, and you can do it in a couple of days, and it's completely adaptive, personalized, with AI, gamification, and everything else you want to be with care management modules. So you see subset of the modules, but that's what we enabled. So medication adherence, it's a module. You drag and drop it, you have that function. And beyond that, at the same time, you can deploy medication adherence chatbot, web app. We have the same database on the back end. So people, you know, they could start with the chatbot, move to the app, and we know we just continue conversation. We have role-based access. So if you're a caregiver, you will see certain things, do certain things. We uh, adapt. So we know if uh, you are a certain age and have a certain set of conditions and other things about you, we can adapt look, feel, and content, hmm. right? So. We have a module, care management module, with roles, workflow, responsibilities. We have content, assessments, location-based services. You name it, we have it. Wow. So, exactly. So, suddenly looking at going from your idea as a researcher, physician, or anybody to having MVP literally days or weeks. How big is your team? I mean, that sounds like a lot of um, options and use cases. Right. So very small team. Like hmm. I do, I, because we do the framework. Every time we do something, it doesn't require us to write tons of code. Just like with SAP, you know, you you can set up your company, you can set up your business processes, but you don't need to write SAP code or Salesforce. You can customize and, uh, you know, what configure about, it. What about yes. when clients ask, oh, but can we have this feature too? And we want, you know, to add another feature here. What is the process for Yeah, you it's guys? easy. It's easy because uh, the way... Uh, Fundamentally, architecture that we've built is extremely scalable. So we can create new module just for, and we're doing, right now we're doing this amazing stuff in the wellness space that connects brain function with um, certain exercises and it's unbelievable. Uh, and there are some specific uh, set of exercises and that we had to build, but in our environment, it's another module that can be dragged and dropped. Okay. We don't need to rebuild other things that we use from patient profile and everything else. We can reuse all of that. Hmm. Uh, that's the beauty of fundamental architecture that enables scalability. Welcome to the Health Unchained News Corner. On February 20th, 2020, Brooklyn-based Consensus announced it will spin off its subdivision that focused on healthcare into its own company called Consensus Health. 
Consensus Health will continue to leverage Consensus's suite of tools and infrastructure, including Codify, Infura, and Pegasus. The CEO of Consensus stated, Spinning off a separate company in this area is an opportunity for us to combine the powerful technology built by Consensus with a team of domain leaders to solve the biggest challenges in healthcare, many of which we feel the impact on a daily basis. The global lead for the healthcare vertical at Consensus, Heather Flannery, will lead the new company as CEO. Heather has worked on mission-driven projects for over 25 years, making measurable societal contributions in business, technology, and healthcare. She currently also serves as co-chair of the HIMSS Blockchain and Healthcare Task Force. She chairs the IEEE Standards Development Working Group for Blockchain in Healthcare and Life Sciences. She has a seat at the Healthcare Special Interest Group at the Enterprise Ethereum Alliance and is associate editor of the peer-reviewed journal Frontiers Blockchain for Science. The goal of Consensus Health is to partner and innovate with public and private entities committed to positively transforming healthcare and life sciences. Consensus Health will build Ethereum-based solutions for the healthcare industry across cybersecurity, compliance, privacy, bioethics, and identity by leveraging the deep technical capabilities of Consensus. The team will partner with industry leaders and launch several products previously developed within Consensus, starting with the U.S. market in early 2020. Consensus Health also named a Chief Ethics and Compliance Officer, Dr. David Kepsel, who founded the company Encryption. I interviewed David in Episode 10 of this show. You can find a link in the show notes. Additionally, Consensus has announced their Chief Technology Officer, Bill Glenn, who helped launch the Enterprise Ethereum Alliance and co-founded the coin analytics company the world's first blockchain analytics firm check out the show notes for a link to the announcement i was able to see both heather and david at the digital and blockchain transformation and health event in austin last week and i'm looking forward to learning more about consensus health's future activities thankfully heather has agreed to be a guest on health unchained for episode 58 send me all your questions for her it'll be an exciting episode for sure and now back to our interview with Tatiana Consavelli, CEO of Open Health Network. So what does the blockchain governance look like for your network? So as I, I, as I explained to you, right, we, um, we basically do a uh, few functions on the chain. And again, like the things that um, will be difficult or impossible to do uh, in the database, for example, right? Uh, consent management and um, uh, identity management, and we just keep hashes to the data. And uh, in our environment, um, it all adapts to a specific requirements. So we basically give you bits and pieces of solution, and it's up to you to come up with the flow, the uh, you know, approval, consents, and everything, how you want to manage all of that. We just enable you to do it real fast in the most, you know, scalable and sustainable, secure way. Mm -hmm. uh, we, we don't set up any firm uh, like, okay, here's, you know, how you, everything that we have in our framework is configurable, customizable. We, we designed, like, for example, the data schemas that we designed, mm -hmm. um, you can 
drop new fields, if you will, and database is built on the fly. You see what I mean? And uh, you don't need to reload even app the way we build the framework. If you add new features, new fields, let's say to a survey, people even don't have to reload an app because we do update over there. So it's very, in you know, I would say sophisticated way of designing yeah. Uh, framework that can scale. Very interesting. I'm curious. So I know you said you use identity management or one of the use cases for the blockchain is identity management in your system. Um, does that mean the user will have a wallet that they need to store? They don't know. So we hide all those complexities. So they don't regular assignment all the behind the scenes. And we, you know, uh, there are public private keys. They don't know when they remove consent, how we manage it. So they don't need to understand wallets. They don't need to understand uh, currency. They don't understand need to understand payments because we set it up we pre-purchase if needed you know currency to manage but in our environment if you want to reward even people it could be a payment but it could be you know a starbucks card you see what i mean mm -hmm. so we we're not even tied to crypto as a reward uh, option we made it very flexible and uh, we also have gamification module that enables different type of uh, incentives, right? So uh, for example, if uh, if I would log um, or, or, you know, do survey on a daily basis based on whatever disease I have, mm -hmm. and if I do that, I can earn points, right? Um, and uh, you can assign something. So that's gamification and like how you can put incentives to, uh, uh, you know, help people uh, to behave the way the way the way you want them to behave. On the other hand, on the blockchain side, you can also set up different type of incentives and say, you know, if, uh, you will collect and share this type of data. You can even be paid um, or rewarded in any other way. I see, but so the way you would access your account is, uh, I'm assuming you would log in with a username yeah. and password, and then underlying that there's a wallet that they don't see or interact with, right. but the Open Health Network manages all that in the background. Yeah, yep, 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 um, yep. So in a way, you are managing their crypto wallet in the background and Everything. managing all yes. the consent and all that. Exactly, um, yeah. And uh, the way, again, we build it that on either side of the equation, you don't need to know and understand wallets or crypto or anything okay. else. We made it completely transparent. Uh, and again, uh, like um, I truly believe that in real world, dealing with real people who happen to be patients, you need to integrate all those functions within the environment that they can use from, you know, clinical trials to uh, population health to um, uh, information about diseases in a way that it's uh, easy for people to use. It's on any device. It's in any language. Uh, it's completely omni-channel. I don't understand where there's just niche stuff deployed, because if I'm right now talking to you on my laptop, but mm -hmm. then 
I walked outside and I have my phone and it's easier for me to text, you know, I should be able to continue conversation. Mm-hmm. And you see what I mean? All yeah. those things have to be designed to action in the way where it's complete true omnichannel support, role-based support, workflow, and what I like from a trend in healthcare, and hopefully I'll be able to mention organizations who are actually on the forefront of those developments, when they build offerings that integrated front end and back end. So you have complex disease management, you have multiple uh, specialists involved in complex care, all that functions on the back end with the same database, different front end to caregivers, nurses, patients, and so on. So you see, I see, I really see the light as, at the end of the tunnel mm-hmm. with some of the forward-thinking companies we are lucky to work with, where all those things come to, you know, to to me to the sense where they should be. Can you uh, actually share some of those clients and customers and partners that you have that are you know using your platform? Yeah, there are some some I you know I can mention some I can't, but. Uh, We've been fortunate to work with, you know, UCSF for a number of years, uh, doing amazing stuff with um, UCLA, Mount Sinai, Health and Human Services, just to name a few. Um, which, I mean, we uh, we've been fortunate to find those true uh, visionaries and people who can see how the power of the platform and. Uh, can bring the value to them and to the patients. And we want to maximize value to them and the people without long development times, impossible support, and the inability to integrate and do it in, in a very, at a very low cost in uh, at the fast time frame, which is important for, especially in the provider research space. So we uh, were just thrilled to be working with like researchers and like this year we're already in so many uh, amazing large grant proposals across so many disease areas. And um, this, uh, for us, you know, as you know, I started when I was diagnosed with cancer. So like my co-founder at the same time, his father was diagnosed with cancer. And for us, Right. Uh, it was literally at, at about the same time. So um, for us, mission to do the right thing for the right, you know, with the right organization and really provide not a product. Oh, here's how, you know, here's we have and deployed, but we really work with uh, uh, healthcare professionals to help them because it's at the end of the day, at the end of the day, it's white label. It's whatever they need, but to make it in a way based on all our experiences doing those things across almost every disease area, to make it that it's actually used by patient, right? Versus ninety nine point five percent of things that have been developed and not used, right? And uh, make it fast. The faster you get it to the market, you can test it. And in our case, with the infrastructure, you can add modules. So 
uh, and it it can be maintained. People don't think about you know the maintenance and the integration or other things. And what's interesting in healthcare that at the end of the day, if you don't have an infrastructure with a back end data lake, then you ended up with many different silos of data hmm. that will be impossible to integrate. And I think uh, there are few visionaries who actually see that end day and want to get away. And I'm talking about, I'm you know, large healthcare organizations where um, I think the whole notion of creating 10,000 niche stuff and try to, uh, you know, normalize the data uh, is just, you know, went through that exercise in ERP CRM space before. So um, um, I'm still hopeful that more and more <laughs> companies will see the big picture, you know, do it the right way. Uh, but we're pretty much uh, happy that uh, we're working with some of those. That's great. And I'm wondering, how is your data being stored? So what is the storage policy of the data that patients are inputting? <sighs> Well, you should guess my response by now. It's completely flexible, meaning there are a number of healthcare companies we work with that prefer to keep servers and data storage within their firewalls. Okay. We're open to that. Okay, so it's uh, not a decentralized form of no, data storage. Okay. No, uh, it's up to them. I mean, we again, we designed it in a way it can be deployed within their firewalls. It can be stored on, let's say, Amazon HIPAA compliance server or everywhere, anywhere else they want us to store and deploy it. Uh, uh, again, it, it's our religion to make our environment adaptable to uh, meet uh, requirements. And from a security point of view, sometimes it takes, you know, three to six months to go through complete security assessment. Sure. By now we have 50, 70 pages of those <laughs> documents sure. with a lot of organizations. <laughs> we, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, no, you can't. It's, it's <laughs> until you deal with it, it's real hard to imagine, but we understand the importance of it. So we, uh, everything that we do from how we store, how we, give access how we track how everything has been you know thought through to meet every security requirement and of course i mentioned we work with government we have high security clearance we work with hundreds of millions of very detailed data points so we uh, we're kind of very skilled on making sure that everything is um, secure and uh, protected it meets requirements of different companies. That's great. So I'm wondering <laughs> how the open health network is leveraging big data and AI to enhance the user experience. In many ways. So um, one of the things that I'm really excited about uh, that is not a common thinking today, but uh, fortunately we, we're working on it, is to be able to adapt the behavior of the app or chatbot uh, based on predictive modeling on um, specific patient behavior. Because uh, there are a lot of solutions right now that still 
you know, deployed on one size fits all, right? So you give, here's your diabetes app, and uh, it kind of assumes that every person who has diabetes behaviorally acts and motivated the same way. Uh, however, they're not. So in, you want to encourage them, you know, to take their pills or whatever, but some of them forget about it. Sure. I'm not doing it, you know, the same with addictions or so on. So uh, we, we develop pretty sophisticated. I, I'm really proud of that work we're doing with UCSF or VA where uh, it's, um, you know, algorithms that um, help um, with predictive behavior and uh, adapt interactions based on uh, predictive behavioral things and motivational stuff super excited um there are a lot of other things we can do predictive modeling meaning um we can look at uh hr data uh, patients similar like you in the field come with certain symptoms or anything we can take combined hmm. um, uh, knowledge from patients like you and so on and uh, adapt a uh, set of recommendations of all op option, uh, you know, actions based on that. On the back end, uh, it's unbelievable what you, what we are doing as we speak. From uh, we can uh, see progression of disease based on claim data. Hmm. We develop those algorithms. You see what I mean, right? So you you are importing claims data as well. It really depends who we're working oh, with. It, you know, if we don't own, right? If they have data before even it has been recorded in HR, you see what I mean? So we mm -hmm. can see progression of disease and predictive modeling on that side. We can look at social media and accurately predict if you're a smoker or not. We can integrate all of that. We can also generate hypotheses based on um massive multidimensional data sets, basically get into a space where how you know what you don't know. Right. Because mostly, in most of the cases, you kind of, okay, here's my hypothesis and let me, you know, see how it, so we integrate uh, where it makes sense, uh, advanced, those are developed usually, but we have frameworks for AI algorithms as well. So we can plug them in within the framework to make it even more intelligent, more personalized, more adaptive on the front and back end. I mean, that definitely sounds great. Um, you know, work me working at a healthcare company called American Well. So I know we work in the telehealth software space and we also do integrations with EMR softwares. And, you know, based on my experience, it's not a simple task. Um, I feel like you're making it sound very easy to do so. Uh, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not. Okay. So um, I kind of want to know, like, how, what's been the experience for your clients as they try to integrate with the different data sets and your platform? Um, so, in our case, what is different is uh, that there is no us, it's powered by us. So, everything that we do, it's branded as an offering by the company. And by the way, I forgot to mention that mm -hmm. in I would say uh, more than 50% of the cases, uh, companies actually productizing what they build on our platform under different brand name Interesting. altogether. Exactly. So the productizing in one case, we already 
they already have a buyer to buy that product from another big company. Anyway, so mm. it's, uh, you see what I mean, right? We're like Intel inside. So now the advantage of that is that the the healthcare organization, it's their, it's their offering, right? So they, and they are the ones who have access to EHR and they are the ones who work with the IT departments to help with integration points to, you know, all the, you know, epics of the world. And uh, for us, it's, you know, we work with partners like Redox or whoever we need to work with. We, we support all the standards, HLL7, but at the end of the day, we're not an external thing that has to uh, integrate with EHR. Uh, it's not an app that they need to externally integrate. It's it's their solution. Uh, it's just powered by us. Um, so I guess I would have to ask the clients that question then. <laughs> you're, you're, <laughs> it's um... not easy. We we constantly, you know, constantly, uh, you know, pulling data is one thing. If you want to push back, what makes sense, what doesn't? And mm-hmm. this I've designed very complex, you know. Uh, data warehouses before, like people didn't even know what to do with, you know, small data. And now you're telling, okay, I will just drop in the HR every single heartbeat. I was like, hey, no. <laughs> you see what I mean? So yeah. you need to come up with real good use case, what you actually need to have, Very why you need to have it in AMR. And to me, it's more like what type of signals okay. you want to get. Can we pre-process that because otherwise it will be just you know not used in at all so it's our role to again work with uh, business users and help them to really come up with uh, data integration that makes sense and it's not trivial that you need to plug everything back to emr fair enough uh so what is patient sphere that is a kind of a platform that's part of the open health network. I'm curious, can you explain to the audience what patient sphere is? That's basically what we talked about on the blockchain side. So it's a double-sided healthcare data marketplace. You can deploy any piece of it. So you can, you know, uh, plug this module into our framework. It has everything else. So you can create complete solution for patients where they can, you know, find closest ER and track their data and pull their data, learn about disease, get uh, information about their diet and share data. It could be deployed as a full-blown marketplace where you can find people, ask them to do certain things for you, reward them. So for clinical trials, for adherence, for uh, pretty much anything. Hmm. So what we did with the offering is... uh, so strong that we decided to productize it as a patient sphere. Uh, but it's all the, you know, the three pieces of the blockchain, patient facing, backend, you know, healthcare organization facing and three layer middleware. So all of that has been productized by like patient sphere. Hmm. Interesting. So, you know, the more I'm listening to you, I'm thinking this is more of like a, it's a general purpose framework that you've developed that yes. anyone can uh, kind of utilize and what's your business model? Are you charging, you know, annual fees? Is it per product? What kind of business model are you running? It's 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 a SaaS model. Uh, this again, um, 
you get out of the box, like complete infrastructure within, you know, weeks, you can have highly, highly intelligent, highly adaptive solutions from for any disease and integrated front and back end. And then uh, we basically provide support, maintenance, compatibility, all those things. And you pay just monthly fee um, was structured in a way that uh, I can tell you that uh, if you compare it to building and maintaining similar type of offering, it's incomparable in terms of costs and everything else. It's like completely different. It's much, much, much cheaper, much faster. This, uh, and if you buy a niche product, of course, there are so many, like for big companies, I think it's just completely wrong way of doing things uh, to buy all those little things and try to make sense out of them in the long run. It's not sustainable to maintain them. So, um, okay. So, that's our business model. And of course, we have rev share on product, if they productize it. Okay. Uh, so what's your so customer adoption look like? Um, what are some of the challenges that your clients have faced and that's preventing faster adoption of the platform? And how is it different um, in different markets? Um I would say uh, we 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 only work with you know U.S. companies, uh, okay. very large ones, and uh, the the main challenge for us was that you know you go from phase one of digital health where all those big organizations they're like, oh, they build this app, we have to have that app too, in that, and you're like. You're trying to normalize it, like, think about it. Like I just told you, like people have different conditions. Like think about your audience. Do you really think they will use five different things? Do you think that, you know, the same app, like without any adaptation across multiple properties of the patient will be used in the long run? All those things like, so you try to educate them, but the marketplace wasn't there. Because they came from, you know, I need to build this app. Uh, so that was the biggest challenge to basically get, um, um, you know, early adopters of different ways of thinking in. And then um, we, we're just happy that we have now multiple projects within the same organization and um which is which talks a lot about our team, our offering that, uh, you know, uh, we don't have, you know, sales and marketing people. It's, or, you know, all kind of helps us to be, we became profitable, you know, last year, which is like a digital health space wow. <laughs> achievement on its own. And, um, um, uh, right. So, um, and we're just extremely, extremely happy that, uh, uh, we're, we're working on the most exciting stuff uh, in in the most challenging areas. If you can, I can't even describe to you how important for us is to work in children's cardiology space. Um, uh, hopefully, we'll be able they will be able to tell more soon. Or autism and addictions and uh, wellness is just super exciting. Absolutely. Um, but it still sounds like they're creating separate apps, though. Isn't that one of the problems we're trying to solve? Um, they, 
Well, they yes and no. Within those apps, they bring more and more functions. If you would have looked, for example, at my cardio coach, like from three years ago, it would have been like four modules. Mm-hmm. You see what I mean? So, uh, and again, if you know, my heart association will realize. Well, people who had heart attack, they most likely they have high cholesterol and diabetes and other things, and they will add that content. Eventually, it can cover the whole space. You see what I mean? So it just we need to get in. We can't. We can't do it. I'm. Once, you know, right. it takes time. So you either do waterfall mm-hmm. methodology that I'm. You know, I grew up on that one, and that doesn't work. So what I basically recommend it help. Uh, we act as business advisor, not just, you know. As, sure. as a tool and we recommend to go from what we can do in the shortest time frame for very little money to to bring exceptional value and be usable and then how we can start adding to it over time because we don't need to rewrite code mm-hmm. you right. see what i mean so it can expand so that's that's my philosophy more like agile with the flavor of waterfall because you need to see where you want to go at the end of the day Uh, and that's what i believe in so all companies have you know competitors and challenges and other companies that might be even direct competitors can you share or describe some of the competitors in your space that are doing something similar um, I would say if you if you look at the researchers, uh, of course there is like Apple Research Kit, and uh, it's very limited. Uh, it's good, but it's very limited compared to all the functions we provide. Number one, mm-hmm. number two, we're completely agnostic. We can it could be web app, Apple, Google, you name it. We we integrate with everything, so it's much broader. Because I I always look at the data. I love data, so mm-hmm. I look at the backend usage data in every single solution that's been deployed on our platform. Realistically, it's fifty 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 Android. It's actually going more into Android right now than Apple. Meaning that you can't just go with. So uh, research kit is definitely with researcher community kind of one of those. Of course, we compete with. Um, every single niche solution that's out there. Again, I think for B2C, uh, whatever, for big company point of view, if you decide to go that route, I would fire that CIO because, uh, you know, I worked with CIO, you know, Fortune 50 in every other industry uh, when we were like looking at the same type of landscape before ERPs and CRMs and that's the whole point of having, uh, you know, the common architecture, configurable, customizable. So meaning that if you start deploying and you allow CEO of large healthcare provider will look and say, oh my gosh, we bought this for that and that for that. And that. now what? Like, what do you want our patients to do? And have a page with all, you know, laundry list of apps that they... <laughs> That. So I don't buy into that. I think that has to change. Um, so we think, compete with those. Why do you think the Apple Research Kit might be getting more traction at this point uh, compared to the Open Health Network? And how are you going to kind of market yourself more? Um, 
Well, um, we like, I don't have a marketing person. You see what I mean? Mm -hmm. I don't have PR person. So um, we basically rely on all those people that we work with. They are our spokespeople. And uh, uh, we uh, right now closing um, significant, you know, round that pro enable will enable us. I can't compete with Apple on the marketing sales right. side, yeah. but I can promise that what you know just look at what we give us a chance let's sure. you know uh, you know you see you see what we do what i you know apple is an apple and of course they have all the resources but we build in on any on any research i mean if you really want to engage all kind of people you want to uh support the platforms they use if you even if you give them like if you give me the second phone I will not be carrying two phones with me. You see what I mean? Mm -hmm. So, so to me, it has to be integrated with whatever is out there. It's, uh, you know, it's many different um, environments. We support all of them, and this we work across many different disease areas and with providers, with pharma, with payers. Uh, I think our offering is, you know, has by now many more configurable options and everything else that appealing to researchers very flexible yeah and i hope hope this podcast will help bring you some exposure as well so maybe okay some, that's um, the intent you help me you, to consider your platform as an option uh, I so, hope so can you kind of i'm kind of wrapping up here i have a few more questions but um can you tell me about the roadmap for 2020 and beyond Every year we try to add few more, you know, big modules. So we added, you know, patient spheres, you know, um, early uh, last year, we added care management module and um, we, I can't announce yet, but there will be more modules that will be added this year. Um, and um, from a product point of view, from business development point of view, we uh, we have exceptionally strong pipeline, knock on the wood. Um, and uh, we're part of so many grants that even if, you know, 10% of those goes through, uh, will be thrilled in terms of that. Um, so we really hope to, you know, uh, get into like, triple our revenue uh, for this year. So um, that's the that's the goal. The good thing we're profitable, so we can, you that's know, true. we can run the company. Um, that's promising. Uh, well, it seems like, you know, in uh, looking at the market and everything that's happening, it's there are a lot of us, uh, uncertain things that's happening. And because we uh, built our company basically based on the revenue that um, we get, um, uh, I think we have more sustainable in kind of market independent way of running a company uh, right. by just providing value, getting paid for that. So what would you say are some of your favorite books or your favorite book that has inspired you? Oh, uh, gosh, I, am, I, I always loved um, Blink. You know, mm -hmm. by Maxwell. This um, uh, we we tend to you know not to listen to ourselves, uh, and I think uh, 
I really like the concept of intuition. Um, I'm also, you know, uh, I love uh, all kind of uh, books like Baldacci. I, I think I read every single of his book. This, they're puzzles, right? Uh, oh, and, puzzle books. You know, okay. <laughs> right, uh, crime, not the crime, not the violent ones, like but books. more mystery books. So David Baldacci, I think I'm I'm great fan of his uh, series of books. Um, I also like uh, more like philosophical ones. Like I like uh, Veronica Decides to Die hmm. by, you know, by Coelho. So um, interesting. anything so, related to philosophy is very close to um, psychology. Yeah, I'm also a fan of uh, philosophy and psychology. There's so much to discuss there and it's, you know, it's still open-ended we don't know the answers to many of the questions of the universe so it's always exciting to talk about um can you name yeah. a business leader or industry leader that you you know also aspire to or maybe has given you some advice over time um i really adore esther dyson um and we met a long time ago and we uh traveled yes. together hmm. uh, and um it just uh, uh, a woman that has uh, exceptionally sharp mind, and um, she has an orthodox way of looking at things, not trivial things. Uh, so I always listen and watch and try to learn from her. Because there are a lot of people who say right things, trivial things, repeat things what other people have said, and she's. Uh, very bright, sharp thinker that I adore. I don't actually, I'm not too familiar with her. Can you s f remind me who she is? Esther I'm... Dyson. Um, she, uh, uh, Esther she... Dyson. I, I didn't hear it exactly. Yeah. Okay. I got Esther it. I thought you said Dyson. Dyson or something. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Dyson, okay. No. Swiss born yeah. American journalist, author, businesswoman. Um, she's, uh, she's an investor. She's, uh, I, I don't know if you know, but she was trained to be a cosmonaut. Um, mm. yeah. Very cool. And she's just brilliant mind. I, I adore, I admire. I'm going to learn a little bit more about her myself. Uh, thanks for sharing that. So yes. final question here. What, would you, what, do you, what do you like to do during your free time? It sounds like obviously you're very busy. What do you like to do on your free time? Okay. So uh, I am a mother and mm -hmm. I'm a grandmother. Excellent. So that's important to me, and I want to be a role model for uh, my daughter and my two granddaughters. Wow. So b exactly, being you know a founder, CEO, female entrepreneur over fifty, uh, you that's know amazing. people think I'm crazy, but uh, I think it's important to show that it is possible. Though you know in healthcare, like especially it's hard like you know, they're looking at you talking about ai they don't realize i was doing ai a long time ago you see what i mean yeah so it's kind of you get dismissed by your looks by your gender by your age right so uh, so i have an inspiration here to move forward and then i i love cooking so mm -hmm. i'm pretty darn good cook and i like kayaking so that's excellent. Recently, I started surfing. <laughs> that's that's awesome. How's that going? That's hard. 
that's yeah. hard. But uh, from my point of view, you have to do one very difficult thing, new thing every year at least. I like that philosophy. So where do you? So if you don't. Where are you practicing your surfing? Santa Cruz. <laughs> okay. Okay. And actually, this brings up another question. Do you have any like recommendations or advice to maybe young girls who are looking at technology and are interested? What would you tell them today? What have you learned? What do you wish someone else has told you when you were younger, maybe? I, uh, I really think that um, it's, it's not easy even now to be, you know, women in technology and when you know i sometimes you know start talking at different events and people ask me oh wow so who came up with that idea right <laughs> the framework and it's too complex and it's like well i did wow it, it, it's so easy so i encourage like women of all ages and girls and they just do what you believe in and you will learn along the way. Don't be afraid to speak up and um, do things that actually matter. You know, as long as you really believe and take all the input, but move with your vision, you will get support. I think now there are a lot of, you know, female-based organizations that, you know, do a lot of good things for female entrepreneurs uh, uh, and uh I really uh, feel we need to do more for, you know, female entrepreneurs, minorities, and people who are, you know, not 18, right, as well. So, uh, mm. and I just hope to also be spokespersons for people over 50 and say, well, yeah, I mean, it's 10 times more difficult mm. being an entrepreneur if you are over 50. But it doesn't mean you can't do it and you shouldn't do it. I agree. And one thing we didn't mention, though, is you are a chess master, right? Yes. Um, yeah. like quickly, how, how good at chess are you? Um, I, right now, probably zero. <laughs> but uh, I was a professional chess player. So I was a few times USSR champion and I played with in the same team with Gary Kasparov and it um, was, uh, was pretty well known um, for a while, you know, growing up for many, many, many years. I was a professional chess player. Well, so. Tatiana, I really, really appreciate this conversation. I really enjoyed it. I think, you know, you inspire me and your strength is, I hope that people can, you know, listen to this and enjoy it. And um, if they'd like to reach out to you, what would be the best way? Um, if they Google Tatiana Cancivelli, they can find me. I'm on Twitter. Okay, I'll make sure to include the uh, uh, ways to contact you in the show notes. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on your show. And I greatly enjoyed our conversation. Hey, all you cyberpunk health warriors and nimble digital disruptors. Check out healthunchained.org. And remember to subscribe to Health Unchained on Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, and iTunes. Join the Health Unchained community on our Telegram group, t.me slash healthunchained. If you enjoyed this episode, tell your friends, your bosses, your teams, your students to listen and subscribe. Thank you.